Hello, and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I am Ruthie Cowper-Samoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about Haven. This episode was written by Tracy Torme and Lando Kuhn and directed by Richard Compton. It first aired on November 28th, 1987. For today's check-in, what are your thoughts, Matthew, on Destiny? You mean, am I going to meet my my fabled loved one out in the cosmos one day? Yeah. My soulmate? Or, I mean... Well, yeah, that's like, it does do it. Does it have to be destiny for like love or are we, you know, are there? Other- well, that's a good question. It, yeah. it, it does seem that especially in fiction, mm. des- destiny seems to be often portrayed as love. You know, like your destined loved one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe one destined mission or goal that we're going to find that thing. I was wondering, is that idea actually, is it toxic? Like the idea of like a, a, your loved one is is toxic or the idea of destiny specifically no that's what i mean yeah like is it if we think that we're we have some kind of destiny because i've seen that play out you can see that play out in pretty pretty awful ways sometimes mm-hmm. like like uh the destiny oh gosh, say of, of an i just my mic just like fell <laughs> say again was that you... destined to happen <laughs> <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> you can go back if you want to start that again or we can just sure. carry on <laughs> so thinking about when people say talk about the destiny of a nation Mm. that can be twisted in really negative ways or sometimes people think that their life has to resolve in like one path and they're always trying to figure out what that what that is you know and so major characters often in stories have like a destined path that they that manifests before them and they have to take and i wonder if sometimes that that idea is actually destructive like that we can we can take multiple paths and that that's okay yeah totally i mean i think I don't want to give too many spoilers for another show because I think this is a great show that everyone should watch. But I think the show uh, Avatar The Last Airbender looks at destiny in a really good way. Oh. Um, I mean, there's a a certain character who is really caught up in their destiny. And I think that the lesson for the audience from that is like, you get to decide what your destiny means and what your destiny is and... You can have a thought in your head of like, or if you have a thought in your head that's like, this is my destiny, this is the only thing that I can do or that's, you know, that's worth doing for me that like, you're not going to be very happy. I just finished a rewatch of Avatar. Nice. And I I did not think of the show in that way. Oh, interesting. Now that you say that, I'm like, yeah, because the lead character has a destiny of sorts, but basically puts their own spin on it. Oh, I was thinking of a different character. (laughs) Oh, but let's oh. not get too into it. because <laughs> Now I don't know which character you mean. What this means, Ruthie, is now we have to start an Avatar podcast, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I, I guess so. I guess, I guess so. All right, yeah. let's start recording. All right, um, all right. Or the the fact that that character always seems to have this idea that their destiny has to be achieved alone and often mm-hmm. is refusing help from other people around them. This is a thing you have to do alone, and then the hero all of a sudden has these friends, and like Buffy the Vampire Slayer comes to mind for that, which... I'm not going to talk about <clears throat> too much detail, but there have been like recent allegations, allegations, I'm, I'm guessing they're true, of like toxicity in that set. So I don't want to get mm-hmm. too much into it. There is a, an idea of like that, you know, the hero has friends and she has a crew 
and she's yeah. she doesn't have to face it alone and that makes it a lot more powerful than stories where it's like the one lone hero. One thing I will say about Destiny that made that I was kind of thinking of a little earlier when you were talking about like that that, that how Destiny is portrayed in fiction is from my English degree I can uh, remember and and one thing that I, I really loved was the idea so the 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 word romance or like stories that were romances originally were not love stories they were quest stories so they were like Arthurian romance stories. So that would be like the Knights of the Round Table going off to find the Holy Grail. That would be a romance. And so it's a quest. And then as those stories started to change, the prize at the end of the quest started more and more often to become like a princess or a woman. So the knight would go on a quest and would would fall in love with some woman and would have to face some challenges to win her hand in marriage. And so then that eventually led to romance, meaning love stories. So I think when you said, is it toxic a little while ago, I was thinking kind of because that meant women, people were prizes, right? They weren't autonomous. They weren't autonomous. They didn't have a say. It was that this woman was a prize. Right for completing this quest. So so and I think that that's an interesting thing to think about when when we think about destiny and the idea of like love sto- like destiny as a love story versus destiny as like something else that even love stories or even romances weren't originally love stories, they were quests. Right. And I think connected to destiny in some way as well. And now we know that when people ask what can you do with an English degree? You know, that your destiny might be become a podcaster. Yeah, I mean, literally talking about <laughs> stories was why I went into why I went into English, because I love yeah. talking about stories. Well, you're actually thinking, I'm riffing off your own career path now, mm. kind of thinking about how someone doesn't have to have one destiny. One of the things I always mm. appreciated about you in your academia is that you have one degree that's in English, but you have another that's in mathematics. Mm-hmm. And so it's not really this like one clear, like, like out of that academia, you're not gonna be like, well, your one clear thing is to do this. And I, I always thought that was really cool about your path is that you said, well, I'm going to study these two things that often seem disparate mm. in academia and make a and make a different kind of career. And you went into education. And I know for a while that you talked about wanting to redesign how mathematics is taught. And yeah, I'm still working on that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and in my own life, I was always like, what's that one thing that I'm supposed to be doing? And mm. then realizing like, I can be, it's okay to be multi-passionate. And I wonder if that fits into a destiny mind frame always. Sometimes I think that it's helpful to have an idea of like, especially when things are hard, I find it helpful to think like, oh, <laughs> this, is, this isn't this is working out for me because I'm meant for something else. My destiny is elsewhere. Elsewhere. So sometimes that can be like a comforting thought, but it sure. doesn't, it it doesn't actually provide much help outside of that comfort unless I take the action to bring myself elsewhere or to to put myself elsewhere. So destiny is all well and good if you if it leads to like being passive or being, you know, like not not taking your your choices into your own hands, then I think it's the opposite of helpful. I wonder how often that idea of destiny which I think can sometimes fall into this notion of like pursuing your path or your dream is often a result of privilege as well. That Like yeah. that whole notion of pursuing your dream for some people falls hollow because 
I think everyone would naturally pursue their dream if they had the means to do that. Yeah. But not everyone has the means to just go up and pursue their dream or quit their job and go do something else. And so I think sometimes that's that's also why, for me, I think it, that idea of destiny falls into a toxic place because it's it's ableist and it's and it's privileged. Yeah. But, you know, it, it doesn't always have to be that way, but sometimes it can come across that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Similar like when people are like, well, you know, if it was meant to happen, it'll happen. Like, so people who end up being oppressed are that was meant to happen. Like, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that works. Yeah, especially if the destiny is about stratification, that mm-hmm. it, that, that, and that stratification is, is defended as being like God given or, you know, that, that it's that one is decided to rule by the yeah. fates. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that can also be quite toxic. Super. I, I, I would argue that some of that is going on right now. Yeah. It, or I was in the US, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like, you know, this person was destined to rule or the fates. And yeah. how, how dangerous is that to a democracy? So dangerous. Yeah. We've probably analyzed this more than this actual episode. Right? <laughs> but it was a dimension of this episode in kind of an interesting way. Yeah. And, and in a way that doesn't really have, necessarily like a scientific explanation but i but one that i felt was still satisfying it would which we'll get into like, once yeah, we get to that part yeah, of the episode. yeah yeah i was okay with it yeah. i was like you know what this isn't really star trek doesn't go i would say this far spiritual you know maybe I, very often yeah, but, I definitely, but it was okay i definitely felt watching it that this was a more this sort of went more towards the fantasy uh side yes. i guess of the fantasy sci-fi binary if we want i mean let's abolish all binaries but but this this felt more fantastical than science fictiony yeah and I, I when i was thinking through it i couldn't think of another episode in tng off the top of my head that had this kind of feel to it no so it, it stands out sort of in that way it does and and let's get into it yeah <laughs> let's get I'm into just, what happens I'm, what happens i'm almost I want to. I'm almost tempted, though, for a second, because you just said a thing that said, let's abolish all binaries. Yeah. And I was no, like, let's, wow, let's do that. That's fascinating. Yeah. I want to talk about that more at another time. Yeah, maybe, though. for sure. We will. But I just I mean, I think speaking of like with with fantasy and sci fi, like I think that there are definitely some things that feel much more fantasy and things that feel much more science fiction. But the idea that things are either fantasy or science fiction to me is a little false. I think that things can be both. Yeah, this this felt more in the Star Wars-y realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People like connecting over the distance through like the force, basically. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. In this episode, Lawaxana Troy and the Miller family come to the Enterprise to celebrate the arranged marriage of Deanna Troy and Wyatt Miller. Meanwhile, the inhabitants of the peaceful planet Haven feel threatened by the proximity of a Torellian plague ship. Bum bum bum. Bum bum bum. So they're right. on their way to Haven, a planet that is said to be able to mend souls and heal broken hearts. Mystical healing powers. Yeah. And they're going to rest and relax there. Yeah, and I think Picard, is it Picard that makes a note? He says that these are legends unsupported by fact. Well, Data says they're unsupported by fact, but Picard, uh, says, says, okay. Picard says that the cool thing about those legends is they often tend to be rooted in fact, which is not a thing that we're going to explore at all in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Just mention it at the beginning. What's with Riker's holographic harp women? I <laughs> I don't want to yuck anyone's yum, but what? yes, good question. <laughs> yeah, also, I don't think we ever see hollow people like that 
again like tasha is sort of like a hollow memorial at some point yeah. in the future but yeah we don't really see people and he's just like sitting there watching these it's people like so play weird it was so hard for me to watch that brief scene because i love Riker, but i was like after like the previous episode and then this one i was like i can see why some people think Riker is just like ridiculous yeah, it's like keep that maybe keep that fantasy in your quarters, and it is in your quarters, but maybe we don't need it. Yeah, on maybe screen. we didn't I don't need know. to see that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think they're still trying to figure Riker's character out here. They really bit, are. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're they're going now to the transporter room because this is our first moment where we get to introduce Locks on Troy. Yes, but before that, do you recognize the face in the box? Right. So yeah, there's this face box, and it's got an offering. But do you and know I don't who that recognize... face is? No, who's the face? One of my favorite Star Trek actors. The what one and only it? Armin Shimmerman. Is it really? Yeah. No and that way. That was actually yeah, that was his first role. If you if you watch it again knowing that it's him, you'll you'll see it, I think. But it, that was his first role cuz they actually filmed this like fourth in the episode. So they filmed this before the last outpost. But yeah, before he was a Ferengi, he was a Betazoid box head. Box head face. What's the actual name of it in the there's a name for it. It's a Beta Z bonding gift. Bonding. I thought it had a name. The box thing. Anyways, yeah. but it spits a whole bunch of jewels out. Yeah. And Troy is very upset. This is the tenth moment because she announces, yeah. "I'm. It's it's a wedding gift. I'm yeah, getting married." She's getting married. She looks miserable and terrified. Yeah. It seems like she had thought that this wasn't going to happen, or had kind of forgotten about it, or you know, yeah. they've been on a whole bunch of adventures in space, and so her mind was was off the fact that at some point she had this arranged Yeah, marriage. yeah. She says basically as much to Picard. She figured it would just never happen. We talked about this a little bit before we were recording, but I think personally, like, I feel a little complicated talking about arranged marriage because arranged marriages are not a thing that I know a lot about. Uh, they're not a part of, like, they're not a part of a, 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 any culture that, that I am part of. They're not something that I have a lot of familiarity with. I don't know a lot of people who are in arranged marriages. And I think that conversations around arranged marriage and talking about, they're generally talking about how bad they are and that can mm-hmm. veer really close to, if not directly into racism. I don't want to go there in terms of like being racist and saying saying things like that. I, I feel in this episode, anything that makes a person react the way Troy reacted when she saw that is not a good thing. Right. So we're talking about it more from like how, how she's experiencing yes. this is something that she personally does not want. Yeah. 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 And there's still complexities, obviously, around Riker. Yeah, it's interesting. So like, and they talk about this as genetic bonding, which I'm, I'm guessing, is that the marriage genetic bonding? Or were she, were she and Wyatt genetically bonded? My note here says genetic bonding dash. And I was like, WTF. I don't know what they meant by that. It's like, because it sounds almost like there's a genetic bonding to a family lineage, because she's marrying the son of a friend of her father's. There's no genetic connection there. So what... It's not it's not really clear. I think that I think the marriage is supposed to be the genetic bonding. I don't know though. It's it's a little also complicated and Riker kind of brings this up which like on the one hand like okay, he's the first officer of the ship and he's really upset, he's allowed to be upset. But also like does is he really supposed to be part of this conversation? Like I don't know that this is anyway, he's there and he's like he's pointing out that like the Millers are human, not Betazoid. Genetic bonding is a Betazoid tradition. So the the Millers are human, and yeah. Deanna's father, who arranged this, is also human. So why is it that important? We we don't know a lot about Troy's father, no. and I don't think he gets discussed much throughout the series. But obviously, he was so 
connected to Beta Z culture that he had arranged an arranged marriage yeah. for her. Right. Which again isn't saying that that is that's not a part of human culture either, but it that seems to be the insinuation here in this episode. Yeah. It's very it's very tragic and romantic, this scene between Riker and and Troy in Picard's wedding room. Uh, wedding room. Ready room, pardon me. <laughs> Bit of a Freudian um, slip there. there. Yeah, no, it's it's very tragic, and it would have a lot more meaning to me if they, if throughout the series at all, we had seen any inkling that they still had feelings for each other aside from that one scene on the on the first episode where she's like, "Can you still hear me, Mzadi?" I mean, it's hard for me not to look at these episodes backwards through the entire series yeah, yeah, yeah. because I'm, I'm so familiar with it, but. I'm glad that they don't just drop this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call it tension for lack of a better word between Troy and Riker because I think it does. And even in this episode, we start to see it evolve into something that I think is unique and actually healthy. But uh, for right now, at least, they're tr- they're focusing more on the tragedy of their recently lost relationship. I don't know how previous to this when the show starts. Yeah. But, you know, she reminds him, this is not what you wanted. You didn't want... You want to be a captain. You wanted to be a starship captain. I don't know why starship captains can't be married, but I, I guess they, they're implying he that He just needs to focus on his career. Yeah, that, that yeah. his career would get in the way of, yeah. of being married. We know of other starship captains that are married later, but whatever. Yeah. He's a little... He's, he's pretty, like... I don't know what the word is. He kind of like flounces out of the room a couple times, similar to what he did when he had Q powers in the last episode. And he's he's like not, he's super not happy. This is the reality of this choice you made is that yeah, yeah. We, we can't be together. Although I don't know if it means, like if she did find someone else to get married to, would that have annulled her? Yeah, like if she, I mean, the one thing that I kind of wondered was, so all of the time before, like maybe what's going through Riker's head is that like, okay, so before when we were actually involved and we were thinking of, getting married or whatever before I I realized that I needed to break up with you so that I could be a captain. So did that mean that our relationship always had a shelf life because you had this, like I could see that as being some sort of retroactive, like, hey, <laughs> I didn't know about this. I guess he never did know. It doesn't seem they, like they're they're, Yeah. So yeah. maybe, I, I'm not sure how that would play yeah. out. But I, she does say something here that I, I wrote it down and I thought it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. She says, listen, come dance at my wedding. Yeah, yeah. And still. I think he says that he... He doesn't know if he can. Yeah, but yeah. The in-laws appear. The so Miller in-laws, the Miller family. Yeah, and we've got some. Okay, so we've got some Star Trek heavy hitters in this episode because Stephen Miller. Did you recognize him? No, I clearly am off my game. I didn't recognize. I didn't see Quark Box and. Yeah, he. I looked all this up. I didn't recognize these people. Oh, okay. Um, but you cheated. Fine, yeah, whatever. no, I totally cheated. But he plays the president. Of the Federation, I think. Oh, I'm going to get it wrong. That's embarrassing. In Star Trek Four. In Star. Oh, in the one with yeah, the whales. The, the, the guy with the, in the one with the whales. Yeah. Oh, is that that dude? I really like that president of the Federation. He was cool. Yeah. So Stephen Miller. A- Star Trek's good at like doubling up on actors. You know, once you're once you're a recurring character or even like a, you're in the you're in the family. Yeah. No, once you're there, you're there. So yeah. yeah so he's there. Victoria Miller has an amazing hat. Uh, Wyatt has a really weird V shirt yeah why yeah so wyatt shows up the 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 future the husband to be now i made a note here it was hard for me to see this actor in this role at first because 
he's always the bad guy in science fiction. Mm, yeah. So later on, like, especially in the series, like, he shows up in Stargate Universe, which is one of my other favorite sci-fi series. And he's, like, a really awful person in that series. So when I saw this character, they have his, like, 80s hair. Because the actor's, like, bald now and stuff. He has, like, his 80s <laughs> hair and stuff. I'm like, oh, no, under that 80s hair, I know that you're the bad guy. But he does a, a pretty good job at being, like, a gentle dude in this He's one. all right in this episode. He gives her this rose and Victoria Miller, his mom, is like, oh, I knew romance was still alive. But like, that, it's not romantic. They're basically like, nice to meet you. That's the yep. extent of it. It's not romantic at all. Troy senses that that he, she's not what Wyatt had expected, that he, he had this notion in his mind of what this woman that he was to marry yeah. was going to be. And it, it, it's not yeah. Troy. She doesn't understand it fully, but she can she can sense it. The Millers leave the transporter room and we get the introduction of one of my absolute favorite recurring characters who also bothers me so much. <laughs> like I, she is, and I feel like I know people like Loxana Troy. Oh man, I want to meet You know, them. like, and it's, sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, you need to leave me alone. But then also I find people like that can have like such a warmth. Oh, definitely. You know, like it's, and, but also like, can be so much. And she is just so much. The wonderful Majel Barrett. Lwaxana Troy. Lwaxana Troy lands on the transporter pad facing away from everyone and says, where is everyone? (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to talk a little bit about her history with Trek? Majel Barrett Roddenberry was obviously, she was married to Gene Roddenberry and has been a part of the series like from the very beginning. So she first first appeared in the very, very first episode of Star Trek, the original series, which was The Cage, the first pilot for Star Trek. Right, so this was pre-Kirk. Pre-Kirk. And she's in fact the first officer of, of the Enterprise. And her character is now uh, portrayed again in the new Star Trek series. So in Star Trek Discovery, uh, that that character, and I can't remember her name now off the top of the head. She's played by, I can't remember the actress now. <laughs> she was an X. She played she played Mystique in the X Men movies. Oh, Rebecca Romaine, uh, yeah, number one. Number she's one. actually still called. And that was that was her name in the in the first pilot. It was just number one. So it was a neat throwback. Yeah. And then she played uh, Nurse Chapel, Nurse Chapel, and later the original series, and then Doctor Chapel in the movies. and then Doctor Chapel in the movies. Of course, is the voice of the computer now. Yeah. On the Enterprise yeah. D, and now is Lowax and Troy. I have actually heard conflicting things about her as number one because I the thing that I had originally read and heard was that the studio was like, no, you can't have a woman as first officer. That's just too right. progressive for the '60s. And then I actually read something recently that was that that wasn't actually the case. That the studio didn't like her as the first officer, but Gene Roddenberry didn't want to say that, so he said, oh, they don't want a woman as first officer. Oh, I I'm don't not, know. If, I'm not familiar with the story. Yeah, I don't honest. know. I, I decided to watch that original pilot a few months ago, and it is so sexist. I feel like they more than made up for having a woman as first officer because in that episode, Captain Pike is like, he doesn't like having women on the bridge, but he's like, well, you're different. It has been so long. Since I have, I've probably not watched that original Cage episode in in twenty years. Yeah, so I don't, I don't really remember anything. It's very sexist. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, she arrives along with Mister Hom, who is played by oh, I forget his name, but I had it not long ago. Played by uh, Carol Strickian. Okay. uh, Would later go on to play Lurch on the Adams Family. 
Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, how many people are that tall? Yeah. And enormous. he was yeah. also in Men in Black, which I watched not too long ago. Oh, cool. He's, I love him. He's so great. He and, he and Loxana are just quite the, quite the pair. Oh, Mr. Holmes, awesome. Yeah, no. Uh, anyway, so Loxana tries to get Troy to communicate telepathically, but Troy uh, refuses, I think, because she doesn't want to be rude to the people around her who cannot communicate telepathically right. so she wants to yeah. use her speaking voice uh loxana kind of has the same hair beads that troy has which i think is kind of nice she allows picard to carry her luggage <laughs> yeah and he's like yeah it's fine i'll do it it's whatever way yeah. too heavy but i actually like in this so I've, I've mentioned before that i think troy has like really good boundaries and i think actually like loxana is so overbearing but troy actually like sticks up for herself and 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 for the captain she's like no i'm not gonna walk another step with my captain struggling to carry your suitcase you have a valet valet she doesn't just turn into this you know quiet complacent yeah and her mother brings this up so look the says at one point i think this is her line i put down it says oh anything to avoid a quarrel mm-hmm. so one of them is quite like loxana seems quite comfortable with conflict yeah and I, it's one of the things I appreciate about her because it's something that I wish I was better at. <laughs> it's just like, it's just saying how I feel. That's what she, she just, con- she's so transparent with her emotions. Yeah. And she says this to her. She's like, you know, they, that humans constantly say one thing, mm-hmm. but think another. And so she's completely honest and and just open and, yeah. and even suggests that later on, she's like, th- that's a reason why they grow so much faster mm-hmm. is because of this this honesty that they have that from like even from childhood that uh, they are they're going to to become more mature because of their ability mm-hmm. to understand their feelings and and speak truthfully to one another. Yeah, it is I like that that idea. I also I think she's quite rude about it and I would say that that maybe doesn't show <laughs> the most maturity in being like, well, I'm in growth and I, you know, I we evolve way beyond non-telepathic yeah. beings. You know, I was thinking about this this even came up in um the Lonely Among Us episode where Troy says she always senses a duality in humans. Um, because, you know, when you're talking to yourself, like, mm, yes. what am I going to have for lunch? Like, you're, there's always two of you. So Troy says when she and she's with uh, Loxana and Hom and they're settling into their their quarters. And she says, like, humans, I, 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 I turn off my, te- my telepathy sometimes because humans will often say one thing when they're thinking something else. So it's it's confusing. Yeah, and I can imagine for for an empath, that would be really frustrating and draining after a while because yeah. you're always trying to understand, like, what are people really saying? And I, I, that's one thing that she would never – I mean, her mom exasperates her in other ways, but she would never have to worry about that with her mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You should worry about a lot of other things. Yeah. I do like it when she's like – like, Loxana's in the turbo lift with Picard and just going on and on about how Betazoids can grow and how amazing they are. And then Troy yeah. telepathically is like, stop. Enough. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah. They're in Loxana's quarters unpacking and Loxana becomes really apologetic and she says that Stephen Miller tracked her down and reminded her of the vows. And I it, that actually made right. me kind of wonder like who who made these vows? So are these vows that Deanna made as a child? Which doesn't seem okay. Well, she says that she doesn't that they don't really resonate with her anymore but she's going to honor them yeah anyway, but i but feel like i feel like these are probably vows that the parents made not the kids that yeah, yeah. that's possible but she she says that she's gonna honor them because she is a betazoid and it's mm-hmm. part of her culture and her heritage although it doesn't seem to me like it 
it was ever that important. Like, it seems to me that it's important to Loxana to honor vows, or maybe it is. She kind of flip flip-flops. But the cultural aspect seems important to Loxana, but it really, I really got the impression that this was something that her father did. So it wasn't, the genetic bonding doesn't seem to be that important to Loxana. This is an element of Loxana I actually find quite interesting as a character, is that she's she's very bound by certain traditions. Mm-hmm. But in other times, she seems like this completely free spirit. And both those things still exist within her in a completely believable way. Well, like I said, abolish all binaries. Abolish all binaries. <laughs> so at this point, the story introduces the other subplot yeah. that's kind of going on. Is that on the bridge, there's an incoming message from uh, Valeda Innis, who is the first electorine of Haven. And they say that a ship is approaching and it won't respond to hails and might be hostile. And the treaty with the Federation means that the Enterprise should defend the planet. So the Enterprise is like, okay, we're going to look into why this ship is showing up. And we don't really hear much about it more at this point. Troy and Wyatt have a really, really kind of funny, awkward conversation. They talk actually about this like honesty and that it's a Betazoid trait. She senses in him that they might be able to read each other, which I think, I guess that's kind of what happened in the first episode, uh, an encounter at Farpoint when when Troy and Riker, well, when Troy said, do you remember me? And we didn't hear anything from Riker. But so it's a nice little callback to that because we really don't get a whole lot else about that. But but she also mentions that the only other person she's felt that with is Riker, is someone who's on this ship, but he wants to be a ship captain. So don't worry, Wyatt, you don't have any competition. She asks what happened to the relationship. And he says, well, or she says, well, he he wanted most to be a captain. Yeah. And he says, well, I want most is to cure people. Yeah. I like their, rela- their conversation because he says to her, like, he shows her the drawings and, and you mm-hmm. know, and the fact that like this woman is the person I thought you were, I thought you were projecting yourself into my Yeah, mind. he's got these like drawings of a, a very 80s woman. No. <laughs> Another unmistakable hairdo yeah, from really that time. Yeah, it really matches his 80s look. It basically, that that picture could have been like on the outside of like a hair salon totally, in the 80s. Totally, yeah. But he says, I've seen this face ever since I was a boy. But tells her, like, don't mistake a childish fantasy for disappointment. Anyways, the whole point of this, again, it's the whole idea that typically her communication with humans is that she experiences that they say one thing but feel another. But he's being very transparent with her. He's like, yeah, I had these pictures. I thought you were going to be this this woman. And she allows him the space to just feel how he's feeling and to talk about it. And I was like, this is great. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, People should have these kinds of talks with each other, especially if they're going to be romantically involved. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually hadn't thought of that at all about how he's like, he is being totally honest and he's not. And and she is too about Riker. Like they are being totally honest with each other. They're not hiding anything. That's a, I hadn't thought about that, but I think that's that's mm-hmm. important. I do find it a little funny that like he talks about being a doctor and she's like, well, I'm a psychologist, so maybe we could work together. And like, you just met this guy and you're planning on spending your whole life with him. Maybe you want to start off keeping your careers separate to make sure you actually like each other that much. I mean, yes, that is true. But I figured they know they have to get married mm-hmm. or go, or culturally expected to get married. Yeah. In her previous relationship, the career was so at odds mm-hmm. that that's what broke the relationship. So I, I think she's she's anticipating that maybe this way they can have that dynamic between their two career paths that actually keeps them together. So I thought it, I thought it was a, a nice sentiment, especially since she just explained why her previous relationship mm-hmm. broke broke down. All right, all right, yeah. okay, I can. Yeah, and that that'd be cool. They could have their own like private space practice <laughs> where, <laughs> where one does physical medicine and the other one does like you know mental health support. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm into it. That's cool. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I feel like part of it, I am a person who can be like, and tend to be very closed off. So to me, like it, that's like, whoa, that's a lot of commitment right away. Like you better, you better like each other before you commit to that kind of thing. But that is fair. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I felt it was very sweet yeah. when she said it. I was like, oh, they're going to have like a career together and, and stuff that she couldn't have with Riker. Yeah. I feel like I need to clarify. I'm not an emotionally closed off person. Why I'm are you just, being so it, cynical, Ruby? I know. It takes me a while to like let people in to be very close to me. You yeah, obviously, Matthew, I let you in years ago and I'm very happy to have you there. So uh well thank you. Yeah. I was yeah. I was very honored when you asked me to do a podcast. Yeah, of course. With you. Yeah. We have this plague ship coming in now. Yeah. And so we we introduced this Torellian plague ship. We we learned is that Torellia was a class M planet that had this massive war and one group released a bioweapon on the other. Would you classify this as a Ron and Dawn talk? Yeah. So yeah. So to to do background on that, Ron and Don uh, conversation was it was I don't know if it's was coined by the one author that wrote this book, and the book was uh, writing sci- writing and publishing science fiction for du- dummies. Okay. That's done by uh, Corey Doctorow, I believe is his last name. He's a Canadian oh, yeah, science yeah, fiction yeah. writer. And uh, the Ron and Don is like when you have two characters in a sci-fi that probably already both know the thing that they're talking about but they have a conversation about it anyway so that the audience can know right. what's going on so it's it's a form of sci-fi exposition basically right. so like if i were telling my friend about this podcast and i and i was like so i communicate with my friend matthew over an interconnected network of computers and instead of just saying the internet right kind of, okay yeah the observation lounge is always like a site of exposition in star <laughs> yeah. trek but i feel like it's okay, and we just have accepted that that's how it gets used, and that's cool. Yeah. I was like, this is neat. All right, so question of insanity about life forms that mm-hmm. Crusher kind of is like, this is this shows how we could be insane to one another. So basically, like, this biological weapon, the people from one continent used it on the people from another one, and then everyone got infected, and... The last ship was thought to have been destroyed. They tried to flee the planet and settle on other planets, and they would just infect those planets. Yeah, and so they were hunted down. Yeah. And one of them has now arrived at Haven. They have a conflict because the they have a treaty with Haven that says they will protect them. Um, but mm-hmm. then they also have a duty to protect life, and that has to include the Torellians. So yes. what are they going to do? We don't know yet, but in the meantime... There will be time for the celebration of the joining ceremony. Yes, the wedding. And Riker, Riker leaves the room in a bit of a huff. He's not happy. He's not happy. Yeah, so he needs to he, he needs to vent a little bit. Have some space to himself. Yeah. So we uh, transition to a dining room. Uh, we don't see it much, although I think we did see it in uh, in the Lonely Among Us episode. I think that was where there was like a string quartet at one point. Anyway, yes. we we move to a to a dining room, and uh, Luoxana and Victoria Miller start arguing about like what kind of wedding are they going to have. Luoxana wants a Betazoid wedding. Uh, Victoria wants uh, an Earth wedding, and Picard. It's so surprising that this doesn't work. He says that arguments are not allowed at celebrations. So I hereby proclaim this argument resolved and what a sh- i have to use that more often yeah what a shocker that that doesn't <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't work no it doesn't shut it down i do love uh, luoxana giving her full title daughter of the fifth house uh sacred oh, sorry daughter of the fifth house holder of the sacred chalice of chalice of reeks heir to the holy rings of beta z and now i was gonna ask you did you look this up in the subtitles yeah of course <laughs> yeah because i did too <laughs> 
because I have it written down and I'm like, how would Ruthie know otherwise that the chalice of Ricks is spelt with two yeah, X's? Yeah, no, that's... Because the only, the, only, like, the only reason I know that is because I looked at it yeah. in the subtitles. Yeah, gotta get it right. <laughs> <laughs> gotta get it right. Yeah, so I had it all written down too. Because she's like, she's like, well, who are you to make this decision? And she's like, it gives her a whole title. And then she's like, why? Who are you? It's brilliant. Majel Barrett's portrayal of Loxana Troy is amazing. Oh, yeah. No, it's the, she's formidable. Yeah, she formidable really as a character. Picard makes a, a toast to the happy couple. He says, may this union, it, it seems like at Victoria's uh, sort of bidding, he says, may this union be a productive one. I'm guessing that means children. I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, that could be it. Um, it could just mean maybe that they talked about with their career plans. You know, they're going to have their joint <laughs> career together. Yeah. I made a note here about Tasha's hair because it's awesome. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's all like, it's all like 80s up It's all as 80s well. up. And then uh, Crusher has her hair done in like a, this kind of French braid that wraps around kind of. It's, everyone's, everyone's really done up. Troy is wearing her usual outfit. Like she usually has that gray thing with a, with the, a belt. Um, she's wearing the exact same thing, except it's like different shades of pink and the belt is sparkly. So she's done up. Everyone else is in their uniform, but they've got cool hair. They definitely spent a lot of time on hair in this episode. Yeah, that yeah. Like, that's a thing. There's a lot. Oh, yeah, because Troy's also got her, her hair is like, she's got that same thingy at the top, but now it's also like cascading down. It's a super tense, super tense dinner. Mr. Hom keeps gonging every time he takes a sip. Data's like wandering around watching everybody just being so fascinated by their behavior. So awkward. They talk about like Betazoid wedding traditions and apparently everyone's naked to celebrate life and love. And Loxana says that Stephen Miller is attracted to her. And then she's got this like pet that's leaves. It's, it's actually a very like, it felt to me like a very Morticia Adams moment where she like gets her her vine pet to like crawl onto victoria and make her scream and yeah, this is one of those times where the walks on a probably doesn't need to she's probably crossing the she's line at this point she's intentionally antagonizing yeah. people yeah yeah well and it's and that's the thing so like Riker gets really upset and leaves and and then troy talks about them like doing this like petty bickering which it is a little bit but i feel like for the most part it's like loxana's being provocative oh yeah yeah she just wants to provoke an argument and Data is like, no, can you please continue the petty bickering? Because <laughs> he he's just there exploring and analyzing humanoid yeah. behavior. And I love the two of them kind of look at each other with this like shocked look like, wait, other people noticed it. Oh, I did, we didn't realize we we're being so public yeah. about this. I mean, it is. I, I do want to say like, I feel like there is in this scene a definite like, oh, you know, women, they're always arguing about something kind of feel to it. We do have Riker storming off. Yeah, he's. He's still grumpy yeah. about it. Yeah, but we don't have the same, like, we don't have the word petty being described or being used to describe Riker, but we do have it being used to describe, like, Loxana's pretty, I wouldn't call it petty. I'd say she's being provocative and Victoria Miller is reacting to the provocation. Like, I wouldn't yes. call that petty. Um, but it's important to note before this big argument happens, there is a little conversation because Wyatt brings up the Torellian ship. He wants to help them. He studied, like, infectious diseases in med school that was one of his favorite topics so he he studied them in great detail and and so he and crusher kind of chat about that yeah he asks if he can get supplies or assistance mm -hmm. from the medical supplies on the ship and crusher says yes and this is kind of where the the two plots are starting to intertwine yes. with one another now yeah <laughs> the very awkward dinner uh ends with troy knocking over hom's gong and storming out very upset at her mother um, she goes and finds Riker 
on the holodeck. He's being broody. He is being broody. So I wanted to kind of like pick this scene apart a little bit because, I mean, one thing I want to say, so there there exist humans who love multiple people, right? Polyamory is a, a thing. There are like monogamy is not the only kind of human romantic relationship. And I think there's certainly like an implication here that mm-hmm. uh, it is, which is wrong. But there's also a part where Troy says that she says young human men have a hard time uh, understanding the difference between romantic love and platonic love. And A, I don't think that's true. Like, Matthew, I've certainly never felt any confusion on your part about the nature of our relationship. Well, on that note, Ruby. <laughs> oh, this episode is going to get really awkward if that were to happen. <laughs> but also, I feel like I don't think Riker is confusing romantic love and platonic love. I think he is he is saying that he's still in love with Troy romantically. It's yeah, not that he doesn't want to be her friend. It's that he wants this other thing that he now knows if she gets married, he can't have. Or it's difficult to make the transition. Is it not Imzadi now? Can I not still call you that anymore? Or are you not going to still call me that? And he's like, well, I don't... It's not going to work now or whatever. And she says... Is the human heart too small to permit that? So that's where I'm kind of seeing the like polyamory. I made a note to that too. I was like, I wrote down, I'm like, is this the closest a Trek gets to poly? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, yes, this is in some ways the closest Trek gets to discussing polyamorous relationships or like poly. But I also think like, I feel like the way this episode is written is coming from this idea that like, there's, you know, when there's a question of like, can men and women be friends? That maybe Riker is kind of being like, well, I can't be good friends with you, but I don't see him as wanting to be friends. I think he is saying that he's still in love and that's what makes it hard. What I got from this is that she's asking if he's still willing to be a part of her life in the same way or still love her, whatever that love looks like. It may not be physical, romantic love, but still just to to love someone and care about them. And this is still really hard for him because it's all—it's kind of a shock. Like, it all just happened, yeah, right? So now he's sure. being asked to to come along on the journey. But in a way, this conversation, I think, sets up the rest of their dynamic for the whole rest of the Interesting. series Interesting. is trying to figure this out and then trying to na- na- navigate where they're at in this relationship and whether or not there's room for other people in mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And she even says this to Wyatt because she wants Wyatt to understand this as well. Yeah. She says, she's, she still calls him Bill at this point in the series. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like at first I'm like, who is she talking about? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's no, this is record. the last one I think where she calls him Bill. Thank goodness. I I've nothing against that name, but he's not he's it not. It doesn't a Bill. even make sense as a short form of the name. Anyways, <laughs> she's like, Bill was concerned that I still care deeply for him. And I wrote down that I think it's awesome that she wants to try to normalize mm-hmm. that. Yeah, no, with totally. Wyatt yeah. And be like, hey Wyatt, if we're gonna be married, you need to know that like I still really care about this human and I want them to be a part of my life yeah. still. And and Wyatt is a little funny here. I can't tell. I don't know. I went back and forth on this. Like, is he being like he he the the way he talks to Riker? He's like, oh yeah, you're the one who wanted to be a ship's captain. Yeah, I've heard that can make bonding difficulty. Well, good luck with that. Sure, yeah. you've got a big job on your hands right now. Yeah, gee, go take care of those Torellians. And like, yeah. I feel like Riker's like, this is why I left the dinner. I wanted to be alone. Why are you both hanging out with me right now? It's it's hard to tell from the scene if Wyatt is throwing shade or I don't I think that's tell. what he's trying to do. But it 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 it's hard to interpret based on like the acting or the writing or the episode. Yeah. I 
on themes for the character, I don't think that's what he's trying he to do. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't seem like he would do that, but it really looks like he's kind of trolling Riker. <laughs> yeah, it felt, I was like, when I watched it, I was like, wait a second, I'm yeah. not, but I, I don't, I, in my headcanon version of the episode, that's not what he's doing. No. Because I don't, I think the episode is not trying to have, it is trying to help them all come to like, a healthy dynamic yeah. in that moment as as possible, yeah. despite the awkwardness. I, I agree. I think that doesn't make sense for what what else happens in the episode and what else we learn about Wyatt, you know, however brief. Um, yeah. But it definitely, in that moment, I was like, geez, Wyatt. <laughs> yeah, geez, Wyatt. But, you know, and it, he does, there's an element here that despite the fact that it is an arranged marriage, he still wants to have an element of consent here. Totally. So he, he finally asks her, like, do you really want to go through with this? And I think it's great that he gave her that opportunity. Yeah. And they have a really kind of awkward kiss here. But it, it still is like he's trying to make sure that she's into it. I feel like I'm glad they did that. And I think I think they did that too. I don't think they wanted to have an episode where she was being like forced to be married. Yeah. I think they, they didn't. One thing that I think Trek does do, especially like TNG, is that they'll take these kind of difficult things and then find a way of sometimes uh, sidestepping. And I think that this is one, a little bit of that. It also, I was kind of like thinking when she says, yes, I want to, is it because she really likes Wyatt or is it just because she knows she can't have Riker in the way that they had planned to be together in the past? Like, is she just being like, well, if I can't have the person I really fell in love with, I, I can make myself happy with Wyatt. I didn't get the sense... I didn't get a whole lot of chemistry between these two, so I didn't. No. I didn't get the sense that no? she was like, "Oh, I really want to be with with you, Wyatt." But I also don't love the idea of like, you know, if the person you love most of all, if you're not able to be with them, then really anyone will do. Like that's not a lesson that I that I like. And not that I think this episode ends on that lesson, but it's a bit of a funny moment. It is. Yeah, I think uh, it's probably hard to tell. I mean, all those things could be going yeah. on for her right now. But I think that they what they did show is that earlier she has enough of a telepathic read on him to mm -hmm. know that she thinks that she could be compatible with him and it might, you know, might work. The Trellian ship is still incoming. Yeah. The leader of the society is like, "Please take action now. You must." And then basically just hangs up on them. And the Enterprise is like, "Okay, we got to we got to do yeah, something." Yeah, Picard doesn't want to disable the ship. So they decide to put a tractor beam on instead of firing so they can't they can't beam down. The people on, on Haven have realized that it's a Trellian ship. They don't want the plague on their planet. So they put a tractor beam so no one can beam down. They finally get a response from the ship. And who, who is, is it? it? Who's the response? But the woman from Wyatt's drawings. It's his literal dream person dream person yeah. in on in the flesh yeah. on the screen and they ask for Wyatt they're like so before we get into why you've just put a tractor beam on us is there someone named Wyatt Miller aboard <laughs> see they never he doesn't get that much detail no, on her no he doesn't know what her name is he does, thought she was Deanna he? he thought that because yeah, Deanna, Deanna Troy yeah. was a uh, betazoid he thought that yeah that it was her but um, she, she. I was gonna say they cut to commercial break right here, and I thought it was it's funny because they this is like where they give an example of how, or this is an example of how these episodes, even though they're on Netflix, are still structured around commercial yeah, break. Yeah. Because it comes back and Picard has a new log recorded. Yes. And I was like, yes. when did you do that? Yes. I was like, what is? <laughs> when did you <laughs> record this log entry? <laughs> 
It's like in between commercial breaks. Yeah, yeah, it's just, Picard. but that's literally so. In case you forgot, what was happening five minutes ago before the commercial break started. Yeah, we get a nice shot of the drawings, and uh, yeah, and then Wyatt and Crusher show up on the bridge, and and he is just shocked to see yep. this woman. Um, and so they tell us that there are only eight Tyrellians left. They are still carrying the infection. Yeah, they're honest about that. They're not like, no, we're cool. They have heard of these healing properties of Haven. They don't want to infect anyone there. They just want to find like a small uninhabited island. And what they're, I assume he's the captain. His name is Ren. Uh, what he says is, we intend to die here. And whether it's on the planet or stuck in your tractor beam, that's that's yeah. our plan. We intend to die. Um, yeah. So Wyatt's just doesn't know what to do. He goes to Loaxana for help. She takes her a while to realize that he wants to talk about something other than her um, yep. and how she will look naked at the Betazoid wedding. Uh, sorry, yeah. half, the, the, the hybrid Betazoid human wedding. She's like, I'm always serious, dear boy. My Only my pleasant nature makes it seem otherwise. <laughs> I love that line. It's so good. But when, when he's like, no, really, she's like, okay, yes, that was a weird thing. You have dreamt of this woman and now she's appeared. But she explains that What's going on is that all of life is connected and humans have a hard time with that. So we come up with superstitions or, you know, alternative, I, you know, mm-hmm. ideas to, to that. But all of life is connected across the entire universe is what she said. And for an empath, that would make complete mm-hmm. sense to them all the time. It would just be a natural part of their experience that humans may not completely understand or comprehend. What I thought was so cool about this is that she knows that the implication of this is that Wyatt will not be marrying Deanna. Yeah. She's totally cool with that and still allows him to have this conversation with her to figure out what he's going to do. And she doesn't, she doesn't try to dissuade him or, or guilt him into going through with the wedding anyway. She recognizes that this connection has happened and she honors it and is super cool about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, she might even be relieved because maybe she, she also knows that Deanna, like, you know, Deanna said, I'm not, I'm not super into that. And maybe yeah. she's like, okay, well, now it's not my, my kid who has to put her neck out and say, no, I don't want to do this. Wyatt sneaks around the Enterprise and decides to go into sickbay and collect supplies for the Tyrellians. And we know that, like, he knows that as soon as he steps over there, that's his destiny is set because he'll be infected. Yeah. But beforehand, he goes to see uh, Deanna yeah. and the rest of his family. Gives, gives her a little, little kiss goodbye, tells them to all take care yeah. of each other. She's also very cool about it. Obviously, she's she's sad. She can see what's happening. Like, he doesn't say it, but but she can tell. And yeah. she. I, this is the thing also where it's like, on the one hand, it's this works out well for her. Because I really, even though she said she wanted it, I really didn't get that from her. But also then on the other hand, it's like, so... The person who I fell in love with, who fell in love with me, doesn't want to be with me. The person who I am genetically bonded to, who I'm supposed to marry, doesn't want to be with me. <laughs> like, oh, Deanna. Wait, wait Deanna, there'll be love out oh, there yeah, for you. Yeah. In the, among the Lots stars. Lots of love for, no worries. for Troy. He, he, without saying goodbye to his family, he says goodbye to his family. He goes to the the transporter room, kind of like hyposprays the, I guess it's the, the transporter chief, the transporter operator, beams himself onto the ship on the bridge. They're not able to override it. So he's on, he's on the ship and he looks around and sees drawings of himself that are mm-hmm. on display. Good thing they're both artists. Yeah, that's handy, eh? Like her versions of him are like super like impressionist. <laughs> they're just like smears of color. Yeah. But he knows. He <laughs> like knows we, did, him. we didn't know what you actually look like. Is that him? I don't Could know. Be. I can't paint the or draw. Wyatt. There you go. 
the Torellians seem to have had a lot of trust. So they thought that he might have been a, just a dream um, from Ariana. Mm-hmm. But once they saw that he was real, they knew that he would come over. Yeah. The Millers are super angry. They're like, how could you let this happen? Picard's like, I did not let it happen. It just happened. <laughs> but he can't come back because he now has this infection. And apparently it's yeah. a super fast spreading infection. He's there. He can never come back. But the Torellians say they don't need to go to Haven anymore because they they got what they came for. They trust that Wyatt is going to cure them. And they go on their way. Yeah, there's a... And I, I feel like this is, again, it's like supposed to be kind of tragic, but it isn't really where like Troy is like, I'm happy for you and for Ariana. Again, it looks like she's supposed to be sad even in her happiness for him, but I feel like she would just be feeling relief here. Both, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, if you if you found out that you all in a matter of I don't know how much time's gone by, a day or two days, <laughs> yeah. that you're you're still locked into a marriage that you weren't really yeah. didn't want to do, that you decide you're still going to honor it, and then, and then yeah, it might definitely feel like a sense of relief. Yeah. She's cool about she's the whole fine thing. With it. Everyone's cool. And Loxana seems also like perfectly fine with it. Yeah. So the Millers go home. They tell Troy to keep the bonding gifts. That's kind of nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, she gets to keep Armin Shimmerman's face on a box. And a bunch of jewels. So many jewels. Uh, then Luoxana leaves. She considers joining with Picard, but he's too old. I will say that uh, Major Barrett was born many years before <laughs> Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yeah, but Patrick Stewart, had the, he was blessed with that thing where, like, you look old early, but then stay that age for the yeah, rest of your yeah, life. Yeah, that's true. Then she thinks about joining with Riker, and Troy's like, uh-uh, not happening. That made me wonder whether or not she ever knew about their relationship, because otherwise that would be a little... I no? mean, I, no, yes, it would be super weird. No, I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> but I I mean... I was like, why are you yeah, hesitating? Yeah, no, I'm not hesitating <laughs> to be like, would it be weird? No, it de- definitely would be weird. But Luxana Troy is weird. Yeah, but but in a, in a good way. We usually, I love, yeah. I love um, but I like. I think Troy, Troy is like no. That he has. He wants to be a ship's captain. If he's gonna like give that up to marry someone else, it's definitely not gonna be my mom. <laughs> for crying out loud. And then finally, as Luxana is about to leave, she catches some thoughts, some errant thoughts from Picard, and says. Even Zillow, which is one of her exes, didn't have such thoughts about Oh, yeah. That, no, that was her old valet. That was from, like, earlier in the episode, that she, a, a valet that she had to let go. Oh, it was a valet she had to fire. Yeah, yeah. because he was yeah. having these pornographic thoughts about her. So this is the kind of thing where it's, like, on the one hand, you know, like, she's an empath. And I, you know, I want to believe people uh, for the most part. But, like, she has accused now or she has, she has now said that, like, three different people are having these, like, erotic thoughts about her and... You know, do you think Picard really was? Picard had a pretty wild youth, you know, and he might keep that under control like a Vulcan, but it's still in there. Still in there. Yeah, anyway, so the it, we end with Troy saying that her mother was joking and Picard's like, I am not amused. I am not <laughs> amused. So then they go back to the bridge and like in classic TOS form, this is kind of, they kind of get away from this eventually, but they always have to have that one line always. that like leads into the yeah. next show. So he's, you know, they're going to head out another way and he says, our destiny lies elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. Engage. Engage. Off they go. The door is still open on Riker and Troy. Riker and Troy. We'll find out in future episodes. Yeah. Anything else we need to cover on this one? I think we did it. I think that's. I think we did I think it. That's the episode. I think. Yeah. No. Uh, no Wharf and no Wesley. Oh yeah, they weren't even in this yeah. one. Yeah. So. They're hanging out with each other. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Wesley's doing like Klingon warrior training. Probably not. I mean, 
he might be trying. <laughs> I don't know how, how well he would be succeeding. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram at firstlinkpod, or you can send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to tell us what your destiny is. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew, and our destiny lies elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs>